everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up? Hi. How you doing, man? I'm good. It's a Friday evening. We're recording it a bit late, but we're still getting it out this week. Yes. Life is crazy as always, but we're, we're getting this thing done. I think we're catching up. We we're are. getting there. Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about mountain bikes today, like we usually do. Uh, all things mountain bikes. We're going to talk about some enduro stuff. We're going to talk about some cross-country stuff, a lot of bike things, training things, parts things, all the things that pertain to bikes we'll cover. You can find out more about it at mtbpodcast.com. Uh, where can they find us elsewhere, Stephen? Uh, MTB Podcast on Instagram, the MTB Podcast on Twitter, and MTB Podcast on Facebook, and where else? Yeah, in Reno. That's where we're from. So they could find us here too, I guess. Technically, yes, they could. Yes, they can find me tomorrow at the Susanville Cross Country Race. It's called Ride and Hide at the Ranch. It's the Sierra Cup series. Yes, it's an awesome series. And that race tomorrow is going to be a ton of fun. I hope that it has a good turnout. I'm, I'm a little worried about that because pre-signups are really low, but we'll see. But it's an awesome place to ride, Susanville, California. Yeah, Susanville Ranch Park is a lot of fun. Yeah. Before we get into anything, I, let's talk about me really quick for just a, on a couple <laughs> things. Okay, can we please? This is hashtag speed week right now for me. Okay. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know that that's, I'm saying that in jest a bit because the real speed week is actually a series of criteriums on the national racing calendar close to that level that take place on the East coast, uh, with the Athens twilight criterium and a bunch of other ones. They're really prestigious races. And it's pretty much like every day you've got a race, a crit race going on. Okay. Pretty gnarly. Okay. And these are not just normal criteriums. Some of these are like two hours long of criterium racing. God, that sounds horrible. It's gnarly. So really rough stuff. Anyway, so this is not speed week, but it's my speed week. So hard VO2 training on Monday, Tuesday, Criterium, Wednesday, more VO2 training with, uh, but also mixed in with a lot of endurance stuff with Liz Lyles, a professional triathlete in our area. And then Thursday, last night, cross country mountain bike race. I won, by the way. Nice. I heard you won like $40. I did. That's good. Yeah, man. $40 at a local twilight race. That's like striking it big. Got to tell USAC now. You got to move up to pro. <laughs> no more sandbagging. <laughs> That'll happen. And then, and, and actually last night was the first night I've actually felt good fitness wise, felt good on my bike in over a year. Well, there you go. It's pretty awesome. Cause I've been training and working hard and doing everything else, but it's just, you know, things haven't really materialized. And last night at a race that doesn't really matter, I felt good. So hopefully at a race that matters a little more tomorrow. Yeah. But that's good motivation. Heck yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So anyways, it's racing season. That makes me excited. Oh, and then of course, tomorrow is the, the conclusion of my speed week and that's going to be up at Susanville. So nice. Good stuff. On mtbpodcast.com, other things, uh, people can find shirts and sweatshirts. A bunch of you have been buying them. Thank you. Yes. Continue to do so. That makes us very excited. And we also have other things coming up there. Uh, we're going to have some likes to party stickers that you can put on your bike, only if it likes to party, mind you. Yeah. Or if it if it ironically, if, if you're putting on it ironically, that could be good too. Yeah. Like We like you know, irony. Yeah, that could be fun too. Helps the blood. <laughs> yes, yeah. More iron is very good. Or yes. More irony. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. More irony blood. Uh, also, we are probably going to have some shirts that have that likes to party thing on there too. So it'll be fun. Yeah. So keep your eye out. You can go to mtbpodcast.com and go to the store there. You can listen to the latest episodes. You can subscribe, find all that stuff. Uh, let's move into just a quick house cleaning item. Yeah. Last week we talked about the, the, I guess the catch, no, well, not catch 22, but the situation where a lot of SB55, Yeti SB55 owners 
have like there's I guess rumblings going around that the Float X2 uh, or the Fox the the Float X2 right that's yeah, the, yeah I'm gonna get these confused but the Float X2 shock is not an ideal shock for that bike and that the Float X is where they get better performance so we talked about that last week and we talked about how you kind of nailed it with your float X2 actually. Well, I had the DHX2, remember Forgive me, yes, so you had the coil on there. Yes, but it's still a very similar damper assembly with the same, you know, with a similar damper range. Yep. Um, You know, one of the, one of my friends actually just built up his SB55 today with a float X2 and we've already, you know, rudimentary dialed in his rear shock and it's identical to the DHX2. Yeah. On the 55. So, so a couple of things that we talked about. First of all, we used the word infinite and we used it carelessly. We, we should, yeah. Yes, we should we will be more we will have precision of language for yes. all the fans of the giver there. So we'll have more we'll be more precise. Clearly it's not infinite. No, it's not. It has a wider range, a far wider range of damping adjustment compared to something like a float, like a float X or a float X even. Yeah. So, uh, everybody imagine in your mind that you have like, uh, a range from zero to a hundred. Yes. Okay. And within that zero to 100, you will have, well, it's probably less than that zero to 50, let's say, right? Well, I just like round numbers. Yeah. So So let's say zero to 50. And within that, when you get a shock, if you've looked on your shock, a lot of the time it'll say something like, um, it'll say like light firm or mid mid or firm mid or light mid, whatever the combination of those terms, right? Firm light and mid. And those are compression and rebound tunes. So basically remember that zero to 50, I guess, timeline or not timeline, but you have your, your spread there, zero to 50. Yep. Basically, if you have a zero or if you have a light, light tune, chances are you're going to be zero to 15 ish. And these are arbitrary numbers just to illustrate the principle here, yeah, but in lightness to firmness, yep. You're zero to 15. So you're on, on the, the light, light side. Yes. Yep. And then if you're on the mid side, you're in the middle ground, if you're on the firm side, you're on the, on the far other side. Right. So that's how that works. And in most cases, a brand will for their higher end or for their lower end bikes. A lot of the time they don't actually put a whole lot of research into this. They just kind of take whatever shock and throw it on there. Yeah. But for a higher end model bike, a lot of the time, or if you're getting something from a company like a uh, Yeti or Ibis or, uh, I don't know, brands that, that specialize Santa Cruz intense, you name it. Yep. They're custom specking a lot more than just the damper tunes, but yes. they're also custom specking the damper tune itself. Yep. So in this case, what they'll do is they'll, ru- they'll design that bike and they'll say, this one would be best with a mid firm, whatever that may be. So mid compression, firm rebound, whatever it may be. Once again, these are arbitrary, but what we're trying to do is illustrate the fact that these shocks come with a tune and it's a narrow selection of a possibly larger selection. Yes. Now the Float X2 isn't infinite. However, it occupies a much larger range than just the smaller ones that you see on standard shocks like the Float X. Yes. Now in the Float X2's case, it seems like it's shifted over to the light side. Is that correct, Stephen, or am I wrong on that? I would say that... Um, where it seems if you're going that zero to 50 range, yeah, I think where you give up is on the extremely light edge and on the extremely firm section. So you might be a range of say 10 to 40 on that right. total range of zero to 50. Yep. 
That's and that's that's my estimates on what you know I learned by playing with my DHX two. Once again, numbers are arbitrary. Doesn't it's, matter. It's yeah. arbitrary. So now when we're talking about uh, the the Yetis, the Yetis suspension system, the Switch Infinity system in this case, we're talking specifically about the fa- or a suspension system that is pretty linear or the linkage system, right? It's not very progressive. So as a result, if you have a shock that has a firm compression tune, really firm, we're talking on the firm, firm, firm side, yeah. you're going to lack a lot of initial plushness because of the fact that you have a shock that's, or a suspension system that's going to be a little bit more linear like yeah. that, right? Now, in uh, something that a lot of people are talking about is that lack of initial plushness. Which is what I had a problem with my 5.5 five last year. And then you address that how? I address that because when what I, what I found out was that they put a firm compression tune in that bike. In, 20... in 2016. It, they changed it for 2015. They dropped it down to a medium. Or 2017. To, to the 2017 model. Yeah. So they moved it down to a medium tune gotcha. in compression. Okay. But I found that the initial was way too rough. And then also as it went through the travel, I could not get that that float X to be, I guess, compliant enough. I couldn't mm. get it on anything washboardy where I needed high speed compression adjustment. It was terrible. I oh. couldn't keep the rear wheel planted and it was just all over the place and it just didn't feel great. It never felt planted at higher speeds. And then it also just felt rough all the time. Right. So then you ended up going to the DHX2, which and, is like the X2, but it's a coil. Yeah, and that was and that was kind of on a whim. Nobody had ever run the DHX2 on the 5.5, and no one had actually run the, or I guess Cody Kelly and Richie Rude were running the prototypes of the Float X2, mm-hmm. but the Float X2, that was in the middle of the grenade gate or whatever was yeah, going yeah. on with the yeah. Float Xs. So they weren't selling any of the Float X2s at that time. And I just couldn't get one. So I said, okay, well, let's try the DHX2 and get me a 550-pound spring for my weight. That's what worked perfect. Yeah. Um, and I said, let's get a, an SLS spring coming with that. I put it on uh, five minutes into SLS adjusting and riding. for super light steel. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's as light as a titanium spring, but it's a third of the cost of a titanium spring. They're awesome. They're great. Uh, it's a, it's a great setup with the DHX too. Yeah. And once I got that dialed in with a friend of mine who used to work at Fox, um, it was five minutes of riding and we had it dialed and I've never, I never made a change since. And I was much lighter than you. And I rode that bike. Yeah. Um, I can actually, and I even, so I rode the bike and I thought, Ooh, this is tuned for Steven. Not for me. I expected that as soon as I rode it. Right. Yeah. That said, it still felt, when you rode the bike, it still felt initially plush. Like it did have, it wasn't as initially plush as I would set it up for me. Well, of course. But thinking of what it would be like, proportionately speaking, it was still initially plush. Yeah. So I, I think that's, um, it is possible. And I think that basically the, the, the real issue here is that a lot of people think, and this doesn't just go for people with a 5.5. Five, if you listen to enough people that are dissatisfied with their bike setup and that have just like accepted defeat with whatever that may be, yeah, you'll get yourself in a situation where you're just waiting for the perfect shock to come out. And to be honest, though, I, I think that with most stuff these days, suspension has gotten so good with something like the Float X2 or the new yeah. Super Deluxe from RockShox. You can get some killer Olins. I don't know what their stuff is like. Who knows? It might be good. Yeah, uh, you can you can find your sweet spot. And that's, and, and that's the thing, just because Fox says that they haven't found a tune that they like, 
you know what? Their recommendations on tuning guides on every single bike I've ever set up has never been what I wanted on their forks. I've never, I've never run any of their pressures ever for any customer or myself based off of their tuning guides. Everything is so far off that I don't care what Fox says. I don't care if they say that they don't have, you know, the, the perfect damper for a switch infinity bike. I found it. Right. Or what rock shock says or anybody else. The, the fact is suspension is a very individual thing. It is when they say set your bike up with 20 to 30% sag, that is a starting point and you should tailor it from there. Yeah. I, I, I run totally different sag settings than, than what I would run otherwise. So yeah. on my, on my RS one, for example, I actually end up on that fork. I end up running 20%. However, when I had a SID before that I ran 15%. Yeah. Uh, and the SID recommended to be 25 to 30%. So it, it just, it matters Really, suspension setup is individual. Yeah. I guess that's what we're getting at. And that's the thing at the end of the day, you look at, okay, well, what's you know 25% sag on a Float X on an SB 5.5 or say a Santa Cruz uh, Hightower? Yep. You know, what is, what is 20 or 25% sag? Now put a different volume spacer in there or make right. some adjustments to you know anything else on- you can't run the, the same 25%. Yeah, the same 25% creates a completely different uh, spring curve. Yep. So- Really, it's so individual, and that shock is so adjustable. And I guess we use that term infinitely adjustable, not necessarily by mistake, but I guess with the understanding that it's obviously not infinite, but it's a wide enough range comparative to anything else out there from Fox as far as comparing it to a Float X that it makes all the difference in the world, and you should be able to find the perfect tune for you. Yep. No matter what Fox says. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to you guys finding the sweet spot. And I guarantee you, uh, yeah, I guarantee you'll find it. I guess that's the point. Exactly. So, uh, Steven, with that, let's get into the news. News. News team, assemble! First thing, the Grand Junction Off-Road, a race by Epic Rides, happened over the weekend. Such a cool event. Does that happen in Grand Junction? Believe it or not, it takes place in Grand Junction and it is off-road. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. The That's Grand the Junction Off-Road. Yes, oh, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, Epic Rides put this one on. They, it's an annual race. It follows the same format as their other races. Pro uh, men and women do a fat tire crit in downtown on a Friday. Amateurs race on Saturday. Pros race on Sunday and on the race on Sunday and set on Saturday, that's called the backcountry race. So you have the race inside the city, then you have the backcountry race where they head out of the city. So they usually do them in cities where you've got, you know, trails that leave downtown pretty much and you can go straight from there. Super awesome race. Uh, so, uh, the, let's go to the fat tire crits first. First of all, the men's podium, Jeff Kabush. Good dude. Uh, I'll actually be riding with Jeff next week. So, cause he's spending some time up here in Truckee. So I guess we could call Jeff a friend of the podcast. We'll find sure. out. Yeah. We'll find out soon. I'm uh, not fancy enough to ride with him. You are. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff Kabush took the, took the fat tire crit. Good job, Jeff. Second place, Todd Wells. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. There we go. Todd's a nice dude. Old man Wells. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, Todd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, say, I won't call him that. Uh, Brian Matter, he got third. Menso de Young got fourth. Menso is a good, he's a friend of mine as well. Good dude. If you guys don't know about him, so I think he has his PhD now. Uh, he, I, 
think he's a geologist, but I might be wrong there. Um, anyways, he's a brilliant dude. There's and three types of rocks. He Yes. <laughs> what kind, Stephen? <laughs> uh, igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary. Where There we go. Look I know. You. I have a PhD in geology now. A geologist. The Kardashians of the scientist world. <laughs> that's actually, yep. yeah, that's a Sheldon Cooper quote. So. Yep. Uh, I hate that show, by the way. That's the only good thing to ever come show. from that show. Yeah. Any show with a laugh track. I don't want it. Yeah, no yeah, thanks. Not for me. Anyways, but Menso is a gnarly dude. He just like plans these like a hundred and something mile gravel rides that are brutal. And then he like actually creates events out of them and invites people to join on his ride with like it's registration. Like, I go do this. Yeah, with like and registration then, and everything. It's that's awesome. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Really good dude. Rides for the cliff team. Then uh, Carl Decker, man, rounded it out in fifth. Yep. Carl's, Carl's a beast. He's always yeah. he's so rad. Yep. Uh, in the women's side of things, Katarina Nash. Good job, no. Katarina. Yeah. She won. Yeah. Imagine that. Amazing, right? Yeah. She's she's legend status. So Katarina won. Uh, she's local here to Truckee for part of the year as well. Yep. So uh, Bay Area and awesome. Truckee. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Amy Bissell got second. She rides for Pro Cycling Kenda. I, mean, I should say that Katarina rides for Cliff. Uh, Alexis Scarda from Stans Kenda got third. Fourth was Serena Bishop Gordon. She rides for Liv Sram Schwalbe. And fifth was uh, Crystal Anthony, and she rides for Maxis Shimano. Killer job. Now getting into the backcountry side of things. And this, the cool thing about the Grand Junction off-road is that it actually has technical like a lot of sandstone and limestone stuff that that actually makes it pretty technical riding. A lot of stuff that the XC nerds walk down or run down, <laughs> yeah. try to run down. It's actually, I think we have to classify that as prancing because we are in slippery little shoes like hooves and we're wearing Lycra. Hooves. So yeah, hooves. So uh, I think it pretty much is prancing, not actual uh, running down. Uh, but backcountry race went off and... Howard Grotz destroyed things in the mail race. I think that he finished just at three hours or maybe it was just below that. I thought it was like 255 or 257. Yeah. Low. Yeah, yeah. it's low. Crazy, man. For 50 miles. It's just insane. Yeah. Like he's so strong. So Howard, kudos, uh, awesome performance. Super impressed. He got first. Of course, your eyes were specialized. Second was Jeff Kabush from the Scott Maxis Shimano team. Good job, Jeff. Good mm -hmm. weekend. Third was Russell Finsterwald, SRAM Troy Lee Designs. Russell's a good guy too. I, I just met him when we were at the Utah Pro XCT and he he's a really good photographer. So if you're into you know uh, mountaineering or, or just alpine environments and awesome photography and mountain biking, which probably a lot of people are that, that listen to this, you should go find him on, uh, on Instagram. So he's, look up Russell Finsterwald and that guy has amazing stuff and he's just salt of the earth dude, really good guy. Fourth was Ben Sontag. He rides for the Cliff team. And Kyle Trudeau ended up getting up onto the podium in fifth. I know he was really stoked on that. So good job, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool stuff. <clears throat> and then in the women's podium, Katarina went 1-1. She got the win. Uh, second was Amy Biesel. And then check this out. Third, Sofia Gomez Villafane. She's friend of the podcast. She is. She's awesome. Excellent uh, cross racer. She is. Excellent cross country. She does some enduro. She's she's yeah. rad. So, yep. uh, and Sophia's, Sophia's uh, I also got to spend some time with her out of the Utah Pro XCT and just awesome people, man. Yeah. Uh, she works at a chocolate shop in Park City called Ritual Chocolate. If anybody's ever in Park City, you need to go there. It's a coffee shop. What chocolate is it with shop? you knowing so all of these like weird chocolate shops? Like the one in San Francisco? Oh, I have a, I have a chocolate obsession. <clears throat> yeah. Dark chocolate. I love it. Isn't man. there caffeine and chocolate? There is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there is. 
Yeah, we don't have anything against drinking caffeine. Oh, okay. We can get into that possibly on a totally different podcast. Yeah, I don't want to get too religious here, but yeah. No, there's nothing against caffeine. So, uh, but yes, no, I love dark chocolate. Nice. So I do too. I'm a fan. Really good. If you're in Park City, go to Ritual Chocolate. Really good. Cool. Uh, and then fourth, Evelyn Dong. Good job, Evelyn. Good to see her back up there. And then Crystal Anthony ended up getting fifth. So super cool event. And for anybody, we've mentioned this before, but there it's a whole series. And the next one is Carson City Off-Road. We're going to talk about this next week. Like the majority of the episode is going to be dedicated to this. We're going to give you like a detailed breakdown on exactly the course and how to follow through and how to execute on that course. It's going to be pretty fun. I'm going to teach you how to spectate. Jonathan's going to teach you about the race. Yes, indeed. And uh, so we'll go over that. Carson City Off-Road is the next one. Awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, it's good to see. Good job to the Epic Rides crew, the guys and gals there. They just threw on another awesome race. The next one, though, happened across the pond, Stephen, and I watched it on Red Bull TV. Did you watch the race at all? I did not. You did not. So, uh, which, it's XC, and I know a lot of people liken watching XC to watching golf or something like that. That's better than golf. Okay, good, good. Okay, it's yeah. better than badminton, too. <laughs> well, now we're oh, getting have somewhere. Have you ever seen badminton? <laughs> it gets they pretty get pretty intense. violent and intense. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, XC, the UCI Cross Country World Champ or World cup, I should say. Yeah. First round was in Novemesto, Czech Republic. So Katarina's hometown. She wasn't there. Um, but that race went well, down. She was at the Grand Junction. She offer. was, she was winning that. Yeah. So, uh, that, that race went down and no surprise, Nino Scherter won, but Barely. big surprise, David Valero Serrano. He's a Spanish guy. He ended up getting second. That dude's huge. Like yeah. I think he's six, four or six, five. Holy cow. Really tall dude. And he ended up getting second place. And I got to admit, I was surprised. I mean, he had some good results last year and I figured it was just Olympic year fitness. Okay. But man, he was like holding with Nino for a good chunk of the race. So, yeah, well, he was only 34 seconds behind, right? Or something pretty, like that. Yeah, pretty I mean, he's right there. Yeah. And then Julian Absalon came from pretty far back in the pack, worked his way through and ended up third. I think that this weekend uh, coming up, we're going to have the Albstadt, I think that's how you say it, Germany World Cup. And that one is very or very different. We're talking, so Nova Mesto, for those who don't know, bunch of tree roots everywhere, but they're not like downhill gnarly tree roots. They're just the type that really piss you off when you're trying to pedal uphill because they stop your they momentum. just unload just enough. Yes. Yeah. And then there's no real break on that course. You're constantly doing like little climbs and little descents that are really rocky, man-made stuff, but it still it keeps you really tired. Yeah. So, but Albstadt is really different. It's long climbs, two of them, a little bit of interruption in the second one, and then longer descents. Okay. And they're steep. So this one's going to be a lot of people, whereas in Nova Mesta, almost everyone was on a full suspension bike. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of hardtails this weekend. Okay. Because they're going to be looking at, well, it's smoother. It's not as bumpy, so I can keep the power down easier. And also steeper, longer climbs, weight will really matter in this case. Yeah. So uh, interesting stuff. And so that was the top three. Maxime Marat got fourth. And then- Blue Canada. Say that. Let's say that again. I sorry. said Woo Cannondale. Woo Cannondale, indeed. And then after that, uh, Jordan Saro got uh, fifth. So kudos to BH, that team. Uh, moving on to the women's side of things, which holy cow, they had a lot of men's results, man. That was yeah. a lot of people. Um, let's scroll down to the women's side. Oh, and, and one quick thing. <clears throat> Get well soon, Daniel McConnell. He had a gnarly crash. It did not look good. 
So I did not see it. Yeah, he slammed in the beginning. Uh, women's stuff in U21 or U23, I should say. Kate Courtney destroyed. She won by almost two minutes. Way to go. So, so awesome. Yeah, she's so she's awesome so, to see her just from the start with Sea Otter just destroying. She's so much fun, you know, yeah. like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. She's fun to cheer for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, kudos to them. Pretty fun stuff to watch. Uh, that that race, the whole thing, I was just blown away at how many people th- were there spectating. That race, when you watch it, you can feel the energy through the screen. It's pretty impressive stuff. Then on the women's side, Annika Longvad took the win, and she did it. She won by almost a minute, but she had a bigger lead for a while. I think she kind of cruised in. Sabina Spitz got second, which was kind of a shock. I didn't expect her to do that well. And Linda Indegrand, she got third, but she got a whole shot, and she was leading for a while, and then she ended up fading back to third. So pretty gnarly stuff. There was a really good battle after that between Maya Vajoska and then Yana Belamoina. They had a gnarly battle for the whole race going through, too. It was super fun to watch. So Albstadt is going to be fun. Uh, that's going to be, I think, uh, a battle between – hopefully Yolanda Neff can get back up there. She's really light and those type of climbs could really help yeah, her. Definitely. Maya Vajoska, she could do well with that too. Uh, but it be, it really benefits an aggressive descender like, um, like Yolanda Neff and then Nino and hopefully Julian, they have good battles at this type of race. Of course. So, yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, all right. Then the last thing that we want to cover another course. Uh, so Carson city off road, it had a course change because snow winter happened. Lots of big winter. Yes. Much snow. Yes. So instead of one big 50 mile loop, if you're doing 50 miles, you will do three laps. If you're doing on a shorter loop, if you are doing the 35, 35, two laps, if you're doing the 15, one lap. And I can tell you that so we'll talk about this more next week, but it's going to be better than the 50, the original big loop. I think so. Cause you get heckled three times when you do the 50. True story. Lost and found a big gravel <coughs> grinder. And I know a lot of bros are just like shaking their heads right now, but big gravel grinder that goes on in our neck of the woods. It's going to be next weekend. I'm, yeah. I'm for some reason going to ride a hundred miles on gravel mm. roads. My, my super X is going to be mm. riding it, but I'm not. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seem to be really good at that lately. Yeah. Making sure your bikes do things without you. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that one also was at a course change and apparently it's very gnarly, not in terms of climbing or anything else, but just the roads are rough. Well, there's roads that are gone. Yeah. I also <laughs> saw that I apparently I have to like drop down like a 10 foot drop into a river because the road is gone. Yes. <laughs> and there is so, a river there now. And then I get to cross that river and then keep going on the other side. Yep. So it's fair to say that road shoes with speed plays would be a bad idea. Probably. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyways, uh, keep your eye out for those. And uh, next week will be just before that lost and found. So hopefully we'll have some more information at that point. We'll see them. With that, Stephen, we have a bunch of questions to answer again. Lots of Let's questions. Let's do it. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. Roy like old Roy. He says, hello, Jonathan and Steven. I love the podcast. You guys are so informative and entertaining. Well, thank you. No, we're not. That's making us blush a bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel so smart in front of my mountain biking friends and talking about anything mountain bikes. All that knowledge is from all the 19 episodes I listened to. Nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. If you ever win any bets off of this information, you Mm. know where to send half the money. I feel like we're making people the life of a party, but I really, I can't think of anybody that's ever at a party that's like, 
the life of the party is the guy just sharing his mountain bike well, knowledge. You know the kinematics of this, but yeah, <laughs> the, that guy, that guy is in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> so this himself. is just, welcome to our corner. In yeah. other words, he says, I'm looking for a rear bolt on through axle for my Yeti SB six C it's a 2016. It's easy to find the bolt on front through axle, but having a hard time looking for the correct rear bolt on through axle. Do you guys have any suggestions? Thank you. And keep up the great work. Yes, Roy. Yeah. Depending on whether you have the early 2016, that's 12 by 142 or the late 2016 that went boost, um, Ibis Hexel. Got boosted? Yeah, it got boosted. So the the Ibis Hexel, it's H-E-X-L-E. You can find it on Ibis's store right on their website. It's 1995, super cheap, saves 42 grams over, on the boost version, it's 42 grams lighter than the Shimano E-Through. That's like a whole, like a half of a small spear of asparagus. It's a whole 42 grams. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty How do you good. know that an asparagus I stock weighs that much? I was joking. I okay. Don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway. So yeah, Ibis Hexel, that's the, the cheapest one that doesn't have a weight limit. Yeah. Um, and it's ridiculously light. Um, I put that on Project Aurora on the rear. And it was a solid looking little rear axle. I liked it. It was good. If anybody hasn't seen Project Aurora, you can head over to the MTB podcast Instagram. You'll find lots of pictures of her in the near future. Actually, they're all on your. Right now they're on mine, but you'll be finding them in the near future. Oh, good. It'll be very good. Uh, Yeah, and this doesn't just apply to the Yeti. You can get a a Hexel for multiple bikes. Is this correct? What type of constraints should people keep in mind when they're looking for a Hexel? Because it won't fit on every bike, right? It's gonna. This one is specifically for the the Shimano. I think the Hexel is available in a couple different mm-hmm. versions, but Ibis happens to use the Shimano E through the E through. Yeah, so it's a it's a twelve millimeter by one. I think I can't remember if it's a 1.0 thread pitch or if it's a 1.5. I don't remember. Something I think the weird. Shimano is the coarse thread, so it's the 1.5. Yeah, I don't remember. But either way, the the Hexel works mm. perfect for all of the the Yetis. Just get the 12 by 142 or the Boost accordingly. And if you have a question about the Hexel fitting or not, I guarantee you the friendly folks at Ibis would be happy to help you out. Yep, they're good people. Uh, Jeff, he says, great show, boys. Please keep them coming as it's the highlight of my week. Five stars just isn't enough. Well, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. You're a nice guy. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. I just got back into mountain biking. My last mountain bike was stolen from me in college 10 plus years ago. Man. Since then, I mostly rode fixed gear in the city. Cringe, Uh, I know. Yeah, I was that guy, he says. Look, I mean, we've all done terrible things before. but As long as the mustache is gone and you threw away the mustache packs. (laughs) We love you, Jeff. Yeah. And and then he says, and I got very into cyclocross racing, working my way up to Cat 2. Congrats, man. Nice. This next part, get ready for lust. He says, I'm riding on a 1x10 converted Yeti Arc X with flat bars and a beautiful custom titanium disc, 1x bike. By Quiver Cycles out of Seattle. So that Yeti Arc X, I've been Hey, looking, Jeff, I hate your guts now. Yeah, I want that yeah, bike. I want that bike so bad. I want it. Yeah. And I found one on eBay, by the way, and it was just torn up, looked terrible, but the frame was probably restorable, and it ended up going for $200. That's it? Yes. Because, I missed it. Yeah, because I found one of those and a Yeti DJ Long. Yeah. Um, or not the DJ, it was the four cross, because I want the four cross and the long, the full suspension slope style yeah. bike. And one of those over the pond, guy wanted 2200 bucks for it. And then somebody over in like New York had an Arc X that was 56 centimeter. And I was, and it was in perfect shape. And it was the limited, the race version, oh. the one with the special paint theme. Sweet. And it still ended up selling for like 2200 bucks. Yeah. They're super expensive. Yeah. It's terrible. 
He says, my goal is to start competing in enduro races next season. I'm currently in a fire academy that eats up every Saturday, so I can't make it to any races this season. So my question is, what kind of riding or training should I be focused on now and in the off season to get me ready for next year? I'm in the best shape of my life at 33 years old, but I know fitness does not equal bike fitness. My bike handling is on point, but just need to work on my confidence at race speed. Any tips you could offer to the newbie enduro guy would be much appreciated. Well, since you're clearly going to have to sell your arc X to me to be able to do the (laughs) enduro thing, um, I'm just kidding. Sorry. (laughs) He's talking about what kind of riding training should I be focused on now? So he's a fireman. He says that his fitness is on point. Jeff, I'm, 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 I've got my hand on the crystal ball. I'm saying that you got some CrossFit fitness in you. You might not be, I don't know, maybe not. You're doing some cat two cro- cycle cross racing, but I know, don't know if you're still doing that quite as much. Maybe you are, but you're probably just overall fit. You mentioned because you talk about that, maybe not transferring over. So with enduro, you do need a lot of just standard fitness. You need a lot of strength and mobility and you need a lot of core strength and you need a lot of, you can't just be a cycle, a road cyclist that has legs attached to like a 12 year old boy's body. Right. Um, and Jeff clearly like he hauls hose is yes. around all the time. <laughs> be very clear about how you hoses. say that. Yes, exactly. You know, so he's definitely got that functional fitness and the strength right. and, you know, uh, I would say burst energy, especially if he's cat two and cyclocross. Probably. And cyclocross and functional fitness are two really good things for enduro. True. I really do believe that. And I think that there is a lot of crossover between functional fitness, AKA CrossFit. And, uh, as long as it's good form, yeah, we won't even open up that can of worms, but there's a lot of benefit and crossover there in terms of what you need to be doing on the bike with enduro you need to be polarizing things a bit with your training what i mean by that is you need to be focusing on being able to put out high amounts of power for short durations of time but doing so with very limited rest in between yeah you're not doing half a mile an hour and then you know, hundred percent rest and then going hundred percent, you need to be doing 70, 80% all the time Yep. and then do your little burst intervals Yep. for yeah. three to seven minutes, whatever. Yeah. They're called billets is a, is the interval structure. You can look that up, uh, or you can just sign up for trainer road because yeah, it'll take care of it that. for you. Yeah. It's much easier. Uh, but you can look at that and basically what you're going to be looking to do is be able to sprint as hard as you can, but then settle in at threshold instead of just coast. And then you need to sprint again. And the hard thing with enduro, so you'll have that high intensity side of things, but you also want to make sure that your body has the strength and everything else so that you can support yourself and not get into a spot where you get so fatigued that you lose your form and technique and things become dangerous Uh, because enduro is a long day and it, it takes a toll on you. It does. So you need to be able to put out a good amount of time on the bike too. So the, the, the good thing about that is that's usually referred to uh, in a generic way as, as aerobic fitness. Mm-hmm. And the cool part about what you're doing in this case is the fact that if you're doing that high intensity stuff where you're limiting your rest, so it's hard effort sitting in a threshold, hard effort sitting in a threshold, as that set of intervals progresses, your work becomes more aerobic in nature because you're anaerobic gas tank, so to speak, or your capacity is being exhausted as you're using more and more of it. Yeah. And you have to rely upon aerobic stores. So you're building up that aerobic system. So you're going to be doing anaerobic building, but also uh, some aerobic building too. So you're going to be doing a little bit of everything. Yep. Pretty cool stuff. Extra credit credit question from Jeff. He says, currently riding flat pedals on my YT Jeff C AL one but typically ride clipless on my cross bikes. Any suggestions on one over the other for enduro? Now, any other specifics on gear choice, perhaps in an episode devoted to all things enduro would be cool. And I agree to that. We yeah, will do that. We could do that. 
Thanks again for all the excellent content. Cheers. Uh, pedals, what do you say about that? Well, it, so depending on the type of clipless pedals he uses in cross, whether he's a Shimano guy, which has a very positive lock, or you you know, which would be like Expedo pedals, Shimano pedals, HT pedals, um, or if he's like the open floating design like a Crank Brothers, just match what he, you know, uses as far as cleat type so that he's used to that setup and then just run the Enduro version. You know, Great. Shimano has their XT8020 or XTR9020, which is the same cleat design as their race series pedals, but it's that bigger platform. Yep. HT has their T1. Crank Brothers has their different Enduro pedals. So there's yep. there's Enduro pedals that ha offer more support than an XC type pedal, which is probably what he's using on his cross bike. There are two reasons why you would want, or more than two, but two key reasons why you would want a pedal that isn't just a standard, just like the clip mechanism and that's it for doing enduro stuff. Number one is protection on the pedal uh, because if you bash down, you don't want to hit the mechanism that's actually keeping you in place. The other thing though is usually in enduro, you don't have a carbon sold, super rigid shoe. No, you have a more comfortable shoe. Yeah. Or one that flexes more. Yeah. So as a result, if you have a wider platform that gives you more support underfoot. Yes. Now, if you have an XC shoe, it doesn't make sense for you to have shoes with a wide platform. If you have a super stiff carbon sold shoe, okay. you're never going to use that platform. True. And the only time you would use that platform is if you are unclipped and then you're like Bambi on ice because you have slick carbon soles with really slippery, hard plastic tread on top of a metal platform. Not great. Yeah. So it's really, you want to match the shoe to the pedal there. Fair. You want to have something that's got, well, you know, whether it's, you know, I can't remember what 510 shoe it is, but they have the clip in it or Giro or, you know, Specialized has the 2FO. Plenty of companies have them. Yeah. So uh, that's, that would be my recommendation. Steven, not, not you. Are, are you sure? Did you? I don't know. What's okay. the question? He says, hey guys, best cycling podcast or best cycling related podcast right there with Trainer Rhodes podcast. Nope, no not me. I'd never say that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> he says, I have a cockpit question. Yeah. My bike is a 2017 Trek Top Fuel 9.8 SL. That's their fancy XC bike there. Yeah. He says, I come from a road background, so I like a stretched out feel when riding, which works for XC most of the time. He says, I own a bunch of cheap stems in various sizes that I use when I get when I get a bike to try different setups out before I buy a nice stem. The bike came with a 70 millimeter, which I felt really upright on, which he speaks to that as in a bad way because he said he likes to be stretched out. He says, I put on an 80 millimeter, then now a 100 millimeter, and when hammering down a fire road or flowy single track, this seems to work fine being a new mountain biker. Uh, but he says, I think he works just fine period being a new mountain biker i struggle to get the front end up properly at times and the long stem negative 17 degrees holy cow that's a steep doesn't stem. help yeah what do you think back down to say a 90 millimeter and see if it's easier suck it up forgive me and session some bunny hop practice with a 100 millimeter i live in new england where we have lots of roots and rocks i know guys with negative 17 degree stems that are a touch long that can manual but maybe they have the right technique any thoughts on any of this please keep up the great work and publish weekly i love listening with my 10 year old son who is on a regional school mountain bike team now cheers awesome uh i'm gonna say one thing really quick just because he can or just because one person can doesn't mean that you should be able to do the same thing yeah manualing with a negative 17 degree, 100 millimeter stem is a tricky proposition. It is. Yeah. Some I, people are very good. I can do that on a cross bike. Yeah. I couldn't do that on a mountain bike. I can't do it. Yeah. So <clears throat> Steven, what do you say? 
Um, I think the idea of if he likes how a, a hundred mil stem feels now, he should probably go to like a hundred mil six degree and put it on negative. So it's not so steep in the negative. Right. Um, that will get a little bit of weight back, but he'll also still have the distance. So I would say a hundred mil stem with a, a negative six mm-hmm. on it, um, or possibly a 90, but I'm I just think say, the negative 17 is the issue here. It's definitely one of them. I say go to a 90 no longer. Okay. Uh, so you say 90 and negative six, be done y- with it? Yeah, okay. yeah. And the reason I say that is because most, I know that we see the top XC guys have, you know, like their stems way inverted and everything else. They're incredible bike handlers. Yeah. They're incredibly good. And they're looking to get that front end down. And to be honest, I guarantee you in the next like five years, we're going to see less inverted stems because bikes have changed in their design dogma of needing to get as low as you can like that is dying off. Yeah, stack, the stack heights are dropping astronomically. Yep. Yeah. I think that it's going to fade as a roadie. I totally get why you did it because that's just what roadies do when they come over to mountain biking. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, but you are doing the worst thing you could do to yourself in terms of getting comfortable on a mountain bike by putting that stem on there. Yep. It's just going to make you more uncomfortable. So you felt crowd or you felt upright and perhaps even cramped uh, when you talked about having a shorter stem on there, try a 90. And then if you need to scoot the saddle back, if you feel too cramped, yeah. just make sure that it's not too far back so that you're messing things up in terms of where your saddle is in relation to your bottom bracket. Exactly. So modern XC fit is very different from what you see, uh, you know, on, on a lot of people, they have some old school thought on totally. So that should help. Hopefully it makes you faster. Drew, he says, guys, it's all happening. I asked you a few episodes ago, whether I should do a skills clinic or sign up for an enduro race. I took your advice and signed up for the clinic, but I was also able to procure a new bike and sign up for a race. There you go. Wow. He got his cake and he ate it. Or he's going to eat it. (laughs) Sure. One of the two. One of the two. I sold some bikes and I managed a smoking deal on on a new bike. My question is around training. I have about one month before the BME Keystone race and uh, the Keystone race I signed up for. How should I focus my training? How many days should I spend at Keystone getting another tracks? I plan on at least one pre-ride day once the course is announced. Thanks in advance. You know, I'm either, when it comes to knowing a trail, I either like to know it intimately Mm. Or I prefer to just do the normal pre-riding the day before the race. Um, I don't like knowing anything in between. So There's I no would, point in really knowing the trails that you won't ride and you don't know if those trails will actually be on the course. Exactly. That's not to say you're not totally wasting your time, but you're not getting any more familiar with those trails if you don't know what trails you're going to be riding in that next month. Yeah. If you're already there and it's close to home, sure. Yeah. Go ride, but have fun. Otherwise might not be necessary. Yeah. I mean, you can get used to the terrain and more, you know, general things like the type of dirt and what kind of, you know, trails they have there, but that's about it. That's all you're going to gain out of that. Yeah. In terms of fitness, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to spend a good amount of time in. So like we just actually talked about there in the previous question that we had, where we talked about spending time doing high intensity, then settling in at or slightly below threshold and then high intensity sitting below that. Once again, check out trainer roads, gravity plan. That would be the one that would really speak to this type of fitness. Yeah. But if you can do that type of stuff, it's really going to give you a lot of benefit pretty quick. And just so you know, when you're talking about getting, you know, you have a month away between now and this race, it's going to be tough to get any solid gains. Yeah. You'll see some, 
But more of what you'll do is you'll just basically top off the fitness you already have yes. rather than actually building a whole lot. You'll just kind of acclimate your body to that sort of intensity as well. That's yep. really about it. It's pretty much it. Yep. Brian, I'm a new listener. Sorry if you've covered a similar question in past podcasts. I currently ride a 2010, 2010 Santa, Cru Santa Cruz Blur LT. Man, it's been a long day. It has been. I'm tired. It's been a great bike, super fun and reliable, but I'm ready to upgrade to a more modern bike. My wife has given me a $3,000 budget. That's kind of her. Yeah. What are your thoughts on buying used? I can get a lot more for my money, but I'm a little worried about potential issues buying used. If new, do you have any recommendations in this price range? I'm considering the YT Jeffsy AL129. I've read a lot of good reviews of the Jeffsy and it offers great value. I live in the Ogden, Utah area. So Brian, first of all, as far as buying used, you just have to be careful and know what you're looking for. And if you're not super familiar with a particular bike, you need to find somebody who is, yeah. who can inspect the photos of the bike on the internet or inspect the bike in person. The other thing you can do is you can look at, you know, slightly used demos, mm -hmm. you know, demo bikes. Because um, usually they have to pass through some type of a process to become sale worthy yeah. by that, by the professional mechanics. Exactly. So, you know, that's, that would, I would say, you know, that's probably, um, the one thing I would be worried about or that I would check into for a used bike. Um, as far as new bikes with a $3,000 budget, there's a bunch in the $3,000 price range, even carbon now. Yep. You know, you've got your Santa Cruz C models, the Bronson, which is, um, you know, for, um, lack of a better term, it's the new Blur LT. You know, right. that's where the Bronson came from. When yep. they were looking for a redesign Super in 2015 or 2014, um, they were looking for a redesign of the Blur. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, the Bronson came from. It's a ton of fun. And it's a ton of fun. It's a great bike. You've yep. got, but you've got lots of options. You've got, um, you know, Cannondale, Jekyll and Trigger, there's a $3,000 totally. version. There's, you know, um, specialized Trek and giant. Yeah. all have bikes within yeah. there. You can get all of them. Um, the YT, the Jeff C AL one, not a terrible bike at all. The Jeff C is actually pretty darn sweet too. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you're smart to look at the Jeff C. It yep. climbs a lot better than their Capra Yep. and it descends in many ways are, it's much more fun to descend on. Yeah. Sure. It's less capable in some respects than the Capra, but Average Joes are not going to be pushing the Jeff C over its head. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an awesome bike. Yeah. So that's another good bike to look at. And if it's totally. keeping you in the $3,000 range, there you go. Yep. I think you're spot on. Try out the Jeff C. I know that the Jeff C is hard to get right now. Yeah. Uh, YT is low on inventory. I think right now they're, I know the carbons were, I don't know what the alloy situation yeah, is. Yeah. Good but, point. Yeah, yeah. I think that was just the carbons. Yeah. yeah. Good point. So yeah, I, I've, I've only pedaled one around shortly, but it's a ton of fun. Yep. Super good bike. So Josh, I love the podcast. Five stars all the way. I'm currently building up a Santa Cruz chameleon 29er. I just bought a 140 pike at the 2018 model. Look at him. He has the fancy new pike. There you go. For the front, and I'm looking at getting a custom decals with the main color being the purple. PMS 258 is the color for any color nerds that are it's going to be looking this Pantone up. Pantone color. Yes, we're talking swatches. Pantone swatches. Suggests uh, he says suggestions on the secondary color, or should I just go with the frame's green color? No. Yeah, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> that green, by the way, is we've talked about this before, like 50s appliance green. Yes. It's very strange. Or like if you feed your baby too much dairy. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, That's exactly. The color. Puce green, I think, is another way to call it. <laughs> that sounds green. pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, also, would it be too much to go with a whole bunch of purple hope kit? 
hub, stem, brake, seat clamp, uh, that type of stuff. No. Says, if not, what would you suggest? So we have something against colored stems, right? Uh, a lot of colored parts we don't like. You yeah. can do something subtle to tie it in, but that's just our style, clean. We don't like to have everything just out there and loud and crazy. I will say the only exception for like color, well, not only, but an exception for colored stems, handmade steel or titanium road bikes. If they're custom painted, the stem, if it matches that, does look pretty darn good. You're just saying that because you rode that ridiculously expensive Baum that- And it looked real good. Had the color match stem. Thank you above category and Baum. Yes. Yes. Above category cycles. Yes. Yes. Sausalito, California. North Bay. Yes. Go. So uh, we looked at these, we actually looked up this Pantone swatch because we are color nerds. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And we looked at complementary colors that you could do with that. Uh, PMS 192 is a Pantone swatch that's a really fiery red. And that looks so good with purples. If you want to see kind of what it looks like, you can go on to specialized website, look at the Epic Hardtail and their chameleon, gosh, can't remember the exact uh, name of the color, but it's like a chameleon purple color. Yeah. And then it has like a really intense red there. Yeah. And it shows up blue on their website. It's more of like a violety blue, but in real life, it's actually a very chameleon purple. But yep. you get that idea of the purple with the fiery red, I think is a really ridiculously good combo. The only downside here is the fact that he's got this frame that's puce green. No, I think he said that he's... Now his frame is puce green, and he said that he's looking at getting some custom decals with the main color being the 258. So what do we do if we have a puce green frame, and then we have purple things going on to the frame? Take it to a body shop and have it painted. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Josh. Um, I think that if you did have any capability of of changing the color of the frame, that would be awesome. But I don't think that's the case of the chameleon. Yeah, it's not the case. If you are running that and you're running purple, I would say use the purple judiciously. Go with black parts everywhere, but then go purple decals. Yeah, purple decals. Maybe, and I'm being very, very maybe about this. I'm, I'm almost getting Maybe a purple face. chain ring or something Ooh. like That's the only thing, but it would... I, I just have a purple 32 tooth race face chain ring that I need to get rid of. So <laughs> <laughs> now I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I say go black everything okay. other than the frame and then go with purple decals. That could actually look pretty good. What about spoke nipples? No. Black? This isn't a dirt jumper bike or BMX bike. Okay. I'm just asking. <laughs> Sorry, Don't get so defensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say keep everything black. Okay. So then basically what you do with the black is you create negative space. Because it's all matte black, all black. It's just kind of blank. It's all the same. It's all consistent, right? Then the frame stands out with the green because let's be real, that color, you just got to embrace it. It'd be like if you had a giant wart on your head, you just got to run it. (laughs) It's kind of gross, but you just got to run it. And if you run it with style, it can look good, right? That's The wart on the face or the green? Yeah, warts are in style. Sure, why not? (laughs) That was probably a really bad comparison to make there, but... Sometimes if you have something that is peculiar and some might call ugly, if you highlight it well enough and you kind of set it apart well enough, it actually can serve and actually kind of look cool. Yeah. And in this case, I think you could really do that with this frame by making everything black. And I'm talking your chain ring. I'm talking your cranks. I'm talking your cassette. I'm talking your spokes. I'm talking your hubs. Even your chain. Yeah. Even if you did your chain, make it all black, handlebars, grip, stem, seat post, seat, black. Okay. And then the decals on your rims, make those purple. Decals on your fork, make those purple. Okay. 
leave it. As so black. essentially what we did with Aurora, black everything out. Yep. Okay. And the reason that that, and I think the reason that Aurora looks so good, that SB55 that we built up, that, mm-hmm. that if you if people are wondering what we're saying when we say Aurora, I think the reason, and people don't even realize it, the reason those colors pop is because you picked almost a monochromatic palette across the board with that bike. Yeah. So it allows those colors to stand out. If you don't have that, if you have different colors, if you have shiny parts all over the place, it pulls away from the main thing you want it. To, you want your eyes to focus on. Yeah. This is just art 101, people. Yeah. So you want to be able to draw the eye and focus the eye to something. Okay. So that's what I would recommend. Fair. All right, Stephen, that covers it for the questions today. So let's go into the tips. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live? All right, Stephen, we're company men of sorts on this one. We are. Yeah. It is totally accidental, too. Yeah, it actually is. It's not like we planned this. Uh, I am going to talk about the WTB Riddler tires that I'm going to be using for Lost and Found in the upcoming weekend. Okay. So uh, the Riddler is a tire with more aggressive side knobs and very, very, very tiny little center knobs. Almost like little diamond Yep. Tips. Yeah, it's it's a little more than I would call texture. It actually yeah. does go into knobs, but yeah. they're they're really small. Micro knobs. Yep. So that tire is a tire that I actually on the forty five, I would recommend that in some short track situations for yeah. short track mountain bikers. It's a big tire. It's pretty big. Yeah. And if you mount it on a wide rim, it's gonna sit with a pretty wide profile too. Yeah. So if you ran that thing on a short track cross country race that had grass or had anything else like that, you would tear people apart with knobs. Yeah. Because you'd be rolling so much quicker. Yep. Uh, it's not going to give you a whole lot of traction compared to a normal knobby mountain bike tire. Yeah. But if you're doing gravel or mixed surface riding, or if you're doing even something like Leadville, like yeah. you should be running a tire like that. Yeah. Cause Leadville is practically like even, a road race. Even the nano 40 is too much for. Totally. Leadville. Yeah. Like you should be looking at that and thinking about how much you're losing in terms of rolling resistance. It's a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to be running a 45 up front and then the 37 in back on my cross bike for. Uh, lost and found. The only reason I'm doing that, I will be running 45, 45, but I can't clear it. So the next largest size I can get is a 37. So BMX style. Yep. So heck yeah. BMX style. Yeah. So I'm running that they make good tires and I'm really hoping these things hold up. I'm probably going to carry a Dyna plug with me though. I would. Yeah. It's probably a smart idea on yeah, that course. Huh? Definitely. So those are my tips. WTB nanos or yeah. No Riddler. No, Riddlers. Yeah, sorry. There you go. Nano's okay. a different tire. Yeah. Riddler. Those are mine. So my tip is the WTB tire combo that I just put on the Jekyll. Sweet. Um, so I took the Maxxis wide trails off. Okay. Um, because I really wanted to, now that I'm off of 29 for the time being, I wanted to give the WTB tires, you know, the new stuff, yep. um, some testing. Um, cause I ran their tires religiously for years. Like my, my yep. setup was a vigilante tough high grip up front and a trail boss two, two, five, or sometimes a two, four, in the rear in a tough fast casing. Yep. And that was my tire combo always. What do you have up front now? So now what I'm running is a tough high grip convict 2.5. It's it's like a moto tire. It's a moto tire. It's big. It's it's super gummy bear, like really, really soft knobs, yep. super grippy. Um what riding and I have been mountain biking. I've gone four of the last seven days. Yes, you have. I've, you know, up to about 10, 11 miles nice on work. my long one, a nice couple work. thousand feet of climbing and I'm not sucking wind totally. I mean, I'm definitely slow. Um, <laughs> but I found that that tire, there's not a situation where I'm losing traction anywhere. Yeah. I do notice as a front tire that it probably doesn't roll the greatest, Yeah. but I'm also not in any climbing shape to really decide whether that tire is like 
substantially terrible in rolling or just okay. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I'm running the Trail Boss 2.4 and a tough fast in the rear. Always been an excellent rolling tire and good cornering traction. I'm trying to aim for every single rock on the descents for two reasons, mostly to test out the, you know, 170 mils of travel because your bike likes to party. And you also really, like to party. Dude, this bike likes to party more than I think anything I've ever owned. Yeah. So it just kind of plows. <clears throat> yeah. Like that bike and we're getting to get old school here. My first downhill bike, my Schwinn straight eight, <laughs> this bike parties more than that bike yeah. ever could imagine. Oh yeah. And yeah. that even had a Marzocchi monster T front. It kind of feels like a, it feels like a downhill bike going down. It really does. But surprisingly it climbs really decently uphill. It does. So, and you know, this setup, this, that front tire, that convict tough high grip is 1290 grams. I weighed mine. Goodness me. It's heavy. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a 1300 <laughs> gram as, tire. <laughs> that's as heavy as a whole set of road wheels that I had. I know. That's crazy. I know. It's, it's wow. a heavy setup, but you know yeah. what? They're also indestructible. So the cool thing about those tough high grip casings that people don't understand is yes, they're heavier. I tore one apart. I took a, a pair of, uh, uh, pruning shears, not really pruning shears, but I took like, I was a chainsaw, I think, I don't know. Cause that's yeah. what it took to get through that casing. <laughs> and it was three nylon plies wow. with four layers of rubber. And I mean, compared to a tough, fast casing, yeah. thicker, one more layer of rubber, just ridiculously strong casing tire and super good on traction. They'll, they'll wear out pretty quickly in the, the high grip version, but phenomenal tires. They're awesome. Yep. WT makes WTB makes good stuff. Yep. So everybody can check that out. You can just look up wilderness trail bikes or WTB tires and you can find out more about them. You can find out more about this podcast at mtbpodcast.com. You can listen to the latest episode there. Share it please with other people and review. We like that. Yes. You can do that on iTunes. Uh, leave us reviews. We appreciate that five-star reviews. If it's any less, please let us know what we can do to change it, to make it better first. And then we can hopefully make it a five-star review podcast for you. Uh, you can find us all over social channels, MTB podcast. You can go there and buy some sweet shirts and even some likes to party stickers. that will yeah. be up there soon. So thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.